Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. It's a pretty big celebration here right now. I'm, I'm feeling pretty celebratory. Um, I only just met our guest um, a few moments ago before recording began, but um, he may be, I'm going to find out from him soon, he may be the first Orthodox Jew to participate in the Olympics. Um, and as an organization, as a media platform that promotes the side of Orthodox Jews that never is told, that rarely is shown, um, Orthodox Jewish athlete is not something that we see too often. Um, we've highlighted Tamir Goodman here in our All-Stars, um, Dimitri Salida, Esti Ackerman. We have you know, shown the select few, but um, Olympics is pretty much uh, the best of the best, and um, AJ Edelman is now part of that. AJ, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So um, I'm like reading through your bio here. I'm just, you know, you could be impressive just to be an athlete that started off in, um, you know, uh, ice hockey and worked your way up there and, you know, moved to Israel and, you know, won a bunch of national titles there and switched to skeleton, which I don't actually know what that is. I only just found out what it was when I was reading your bio. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But then, like, you also went to MIT, so this is really... So really, the first question I'm wondering is, are you married? I am married. I'm just asking for our listeners out there. Are you married, or...? Uh, I am not married. I, I, I met uh, a, a wonderful, wonderful person uh, about a year ago. It's a year ago, and four days from now. So I am, I'm not single, but I'm not married. Got it. Okay, so we can get that off the table, ladies. So he did go to MIT. He grew up in Boston from, from birth. Went to MIT, but he is uh, spoken for right now. So fine. So I just want to sort of hear about your journey because I'm so fascinated. Um, I think a lot of times when we highlight people who are very successful and are orthodox, there's an automatic assumption. It must be a bald shuva. It couldn't be that someone could be that successful and grow up orthodox. So could you tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like growing up in Boston, um, religiously, your schooling, that sort of a thing? Absolutely. Um uh, there is an Orthodox school in Boston called the Monty School. It's in Brookline, Massachusetts. Um, uh, when I was a kid, uh, that was basically the you know, the school in town that if you, that you wanted to go to if you wanted to receive a uh, an education which was rich in Torah and uh, and a good secular side. So I grew up um, going to Monty School. I started out at New England Hebrew Academy actually when I was younger, which is Chabad. Uh, school, uh, switched to Maimonides when I was um, in first grade, and uh, ever since, ever since then, I've just received a, you know, I received a terrific uh, Jewish education and secular education, all the way through twelfth uh, grade when I went to Israel for yeshiva. And where did you go in yeshiva in Israel? Uh, I went to a place called Leva Torah. We actually uh, jokingly called it Camp Leva Torah, but it, it had it had its moments. Cool. All right. So yeshiva grad and Israel year grad. Um, and so that's sort of like the typical modern Orthodox upbringing. But um, you you were better at hockey than, I guess, other kids around you. So tell me, like, were you just a- athletic in a lot of different areas or when and why did hockey become your thing? Um, I think for me and my older brother, Alex, Alex is right now actually a terrific comedian. He's in L.A., but uh, Alex and I both started playing hockey when we were very young, and it was just an athletic outlet that, at the time, not too many Jewish kids went into, especially because most of the games were on Shabbat. 
So once Alex and I broke into the Brookline program, they really started to restructure and reorganize that schedule around, uh, you know, to, to fit a Shomer Shabbos lifestyle almost. So there were very rarely games uh, on Shabbos. It was, I think, a major accomplishment uh, for Brookline to, to do that. Uh, nowadays, there are because, far more... Because you um, and your brother, they were willing to switch the whole schedule around. Uh, so, so I recall, um, at the time that we broke into it, there were very, very few, if any other, modern Orthodox uh, kids in that program. And, um, and nowadays, there are plenty of, of, um, of modern Orthodox Jewish boys in that, uh, in that system, the Greater Boston Youth Hockey League, but um, at Brookline, Brookline uh, in particular. But Alex and I grew up playing uh, playing hockey. We played it through high school, and um, I had made a conscious decision at eighth grade when when we started to get approached for prep school offers. Some some of the prep school offers that I'd been offered were for Catholic boarding schools. So um, I made a decision, kind of, to leave uh, hockey um, at the close of of my high school career. So I, I didn't anticipate trying to, to go pro in any sort of fashion. I thought that's just what Jews didn't do. So uh, given that uh, given that I'd, I'd almost kind of given up on that dream, uh, when uh, when in Israel I decided to rekindle it and try to make the MIT hockey team, uh, it was kind of a of an interesting reflective moment that I didn't want to pass up in the future any potential um, any potential opportunity simply because it didn't jive with what Jews did. Um, there is a very, I would say, a vicious cycle of, of sometimes that we approach things and we say, well, we don't conform to that uh, particular way of doing things, and therefore we're not going to, to do it. And so, um, you know, the decision ultimately later on to start Skeleton or to start the Olympic journey was really, there was a lot of reflection on that decision from eighth grade, and there was a lot of reflection on how things had panned out afterwards. So what does that mean to be a Shomer Shabbos um, college hockey player? That means that you're sleeping near all of the games and you're walking and, and then playing on Shabbos? Is that the, the basic idea? No, no. For for me, that meant no playing or training on Shabbos. So the, uh, the hockey team uh, did restructure its schedule around my Shabbos uh, schedule for the most part later on, though. Um, in the latter in the latter couple of years, there were a number of games that were on Shabbos, which I just didn't. I simply just didn't attend. Uh, there was a couple of games that were uh, planned for Mose Shabbos, uh, which I luckily did get to attend. But it was a valuable, I think, learning opportunity um, that I think was just terrific in terms of uh, really learning how to conduct yourself amongst a group of people who had never met a Shomer Shabbos. Or never met a Jew to begin with, and I, I think it's important that I stress that um, modern orthodoxy is not uh, a checkbox. Modern orthodoxy is not a particular way of doing things in every particular scenario. Very many people have different ways for which they uh, observe um, halacha, and so um, while some people uh, will go and play hockey on Shabbos, you know, it's not for me to say that that, that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, you know, they, they, they can choose to do so. So I was very uh, aware when I was talking to my teammates or conducting myself around uh, around other teams that I was just portraying a side of, of, of Judaism which they had never seen before, but it was one of the one of the um, flavors of Judaism which they might encounter. 
and always it was stressed in my mind that it was important to maintain a certain consistent level of how I was conducting myself. So for me, that meant um, if even if even if there was a game which ended pretty close to the end of Shabbos, not to make it there, um, you know, to just to make it apparent that um, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't going to be possible for me to comfortably make that game. So mm. um, I, I, it, I learned some very valuable lessons from. It. It's really amazing. I mean, this is like this is the definition of Kiddush Hashem, really. Um, having these standards and working even when it might not be as easy or convenient. You know, you talking about this is reminding me a lot of Tamir Goodman. Do you, are, do you guys know each other? Or uh, I met Tamir when I was doing the Israel Hockey Academy. Or at the time, it was IBA IHA camp in Seneca Lake in 2000. I believe at the time it was 2001. So I met Tamir at the time. I still have a signed woodblock from him. Um, so I am, you know, I am aware of Tamir. Because I feel like for both of you, it's a sort of a similar thing. You two were so exceptional in your field that the schools were willing to work around your schedule. Um, and I'm not sure if you have any opinion on other types of sports, but we now see basketball, college basketball, college ice hockey is willing to you know work around a Shomer Shabbos player. Do you think that there's other, I don't know, baseball or football? Do you think other uh, types of sports, um, it would be something similar? Or you just don't have enough knowledge to you know make an opinion on that? or? Uh, there's definitely not enough knowledge uh, that I would have on other on various other sports, but one thing that I am sure of and that I've been aware of for a number of years is the reason that the scheduling is in the manner it is is that it doesn't it hasn't presented much of a problem in the past, and so the more people that um, the more the more Jews that are Shomer Shabbos or the more Jews that are observant of uh, various halachot, um, the more they join sports or the more they strive to become elite athletes in their sports, and not even elite athletes, just participate in sports in general, that um, perception of what would be, um, I guess, optimal scheduling will, you know, will change. So uh, mm-hmm. right now there aren't, I, I just don't think there's a critical mass of students sports to necessitate that change. My hope mm-hmm. is that one day, when my children are competing, there will be so many Jews in sports that it wouldn't even occur to have football games on Friday nights or, um, you know, similar similar type scheduling. Um, totally. I mean, I had um, who was the one from who won the Super Bowl? Um, his name is Allen, and I'm blocking on his last name. Um, he's the Super Bowl champion who became from. Um, he told me something similar that, um, you know, he believes that if enough kids kind of come up through the ranks and, and play well enough, um, the, the teams will have to make adjustments. Um, so take me now through more of your journey. So you are the first Homer Chavez, um, you know, a college hockey, ice hockey player. Um, and then you decide to leave ice hockey and switch to bobsledding or skeleton well first let's talk about what skeleton is because like i literally had never heard of it so for anyone like when do you know when it like you know was invented or um why do we hear about bobsledding more than skeleton if you could just give us a little background on that well uh skeleton was invented by a bunch of british uh british wealthy individuals in saint Moritz in uh in the early 1900s and the reason it's so-called skeleton there's a number of reasons the um, the stories go is that it's because it was the skeleton. It appeared to be the skeleton or the shell of a bobsled. 
Uh, bobsledding was also really born in, in Stanford, Switzerland. But uh, uh, the, the sport made its debut, I believe it was at the 1932 Olympics in St. Moritz, and it was discontinued. It only appeared in one more Olympics until 2002 because it was deemed to be too dangerous. Um, bobsled is, is a much more well-known sport, I think primarily because of the 19, um, 1990s movie Cool Runnings from the, uh, from the Jamaican bobsled team, of whom I trained with this summer, actually. Cool. But the, um, yeah, the, I mean, skeleton is, is I mean, it, it, it runs on the same track as both bobsled and luge. Uh, all three tracks are combined nowadays. Uh, but skeleton is differentiated from bobsled in that you have either two or four people sitting in a bobsled. Uh, one of them is a pilot directing the bobsled. Uh, and on skeleton, it's just a single sport. You're on your stomach, you're head first, and you're going about 90 miles an hour um, and trying to navigate, not 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 kill yourself. So the uh, there is a lot of steering involved in skeleton uh, throughout the entire run. Uh, which can last up to a minute long. I'll be doing, uh, could be anywhere from 30 to 40 steers or more. And that, those steers will be done to uh, torque the sled. The sled has four quadrants, uh, you know, left, right, uh, for the front and the back. And so we use our, our shoulders and our knees to really direct those four quadrants of the sled. And you'll barely ever see it on television. You'll barely understand how somebody is steering the sled. But you would bear in mind that if that sled was not steered, and it was not steered with absolute precision, somebody would end up with a concussion or even worse. So the first couple of years of the sport were, are, are, for all of us, incredibly painful years because going through corner, you experience five G-forces, which is the same as a fighter pilot might experience in the air. You experience, if, you know, I'm a, if, if I'm 100 kilograms or 90 kilograms, if I'm, then I would experience the equivalent of weighing 500 kilograms, which is an immense amount of weight. But... Um, Going through a corner, it just feels like a hammer just absolutely just comes down on your back and smacks you into the ice. And through all that, through all that pressure, um, literally pressure, you have to uh, manipulate that sled within the hundredths of a second. If you even miss it, if you miss that steer, you're causing yourself major problems. How fast do these go, these skeletons? You go about 90 miles an hour. Wow. Woo! Okay, I'm going to make sure that my boys don't listen to this interview. Just joking. Um, okay, I'm saying I feel nervous, but okay, we daven, we daven. Do you, I'm saying, is, is, is prayer, is faith part? <laughs> I'm saying when you're telling me sort of how high the stakes are, where does faith play into this for you? Um, there's a lot of amuna that goes into, um, into the whole journey. I think uh, before before every time I go down a run in competition, I say a shirmala, either a sainayalarim or mimamakim. Um, okay. I think they're very appropriate to say right before I go, especially because I'm looking at mountains or standing um, mm. standing close to mountains. So I'll, of course, say those. I know that my Zaidi um, and the rest of my family has said brachot for me, and I believe absolutely in the power of brachot. I think they're very, very powerful. I have a chance to mm. affect and change. So um, there's a lot of emuna, and there's a lot of, of prayer that goes on. There's, you know, the prayer prayer is immense. So tefillah is, is really, really a big part of my life. So you got out of um, ice hockey. You decided to switch to the skeleton. And so how long have you been in, in practicing? How do you call it, participating in skeleton? What Like, what's the correct verb to use? <laughs> the correct verb is sliding skeleton. We're a skeleton... Uh, 
athletes are called sliders. So um, it, it's actually very funny because the, the offshoot of skeleton is called cresta and same roots, and they take offense if you call them sliders. They are riders. Uh, we are sliders. So a skeleton, I've been a skeleton slider for, um, for four years now. Uh, I, I started the journey believing it to be an eight-year journey and still believe that it can be an eight-year journey. And, um, but uh, you never know with, with, um, you know with, with family, with wanting to start a family and, and the financial strain of the, of the sport and the mental strain of the sport, it's getting to be um, difficult to, to imagine what the next four years might bring. So you just found out yesterday that you are going to the Olympics. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting moment. I thought it would be um, I thought it would be something that was uh, incredibly um, surreal, almost. Uh, but I think the amount of um, stress and uh, worry that's gone into what uh, what that call would bring for the last couple of weeks it felt more like a weight off the shoulders. I think um, I think I mean. It, Last Friday, right before Shabbos, when, when I completed my final qualification race, uh, it was actually a very, very good qualification race, and it locked up the Israeli championship for me. And I, um, and I called my federation, and I said, uh, I said, I think this may have done it. And I think at that point, there was a lot of emotion. I started to, started to really tear up uh, about it, and still it's, it's very emotional. But uh, yesterday's call was more of a, more of a weightless off the shoulders. My dad was, was in the room at the same time, and uh, we knew what that call was, was likely to bring, and he, um, he had a lot more. I think he displayed a lot more emotion than, uh, than I did, and, of course, he's very proud. So uh, I think the full weight of it is yet to hit me. Yeah. You sound pretty calm. Uh, I'm thinking, like, is there, like, the, I made the Olympics ice, ice cream Sunday celebration? Like, I'm saying, is there a celebration that you'll do, or you're just at this point, you have probably a lot of work ahead. Right. It's, 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 an interesting, it's interesting that you should ask that. There's, there's an interesting observation that I made at, at my final uh, two races that, that were the qualification races, which is that the past month and the month of December, it's generally a time where people take off for what are the non-Jewish Chagin, or even for Hanukkah, right? So um, the showing up at their race, it had been apparent that some people had let themselves go. And, um, and it showed in their performances. And I have an absolute responsibility to not only the people who have helped sponsor my journey, but to Israel itself and the community that I represent, to represent the community in as, I think, an honorable and distinguished a fashion as possible. And that means that there are no days off and there is no celebration until something truly has been accomplished. And so while I would love to go out and get into Sunday, um, for me, uh, the training and the regimen diet, it doesn't stop for at least another month. And uh, even even last night, even uh, the past few days, I've, uh, I've been in the gym hitting the weights. And... Uh, the journey's not over yet. We still have a month. So while I'm, while I'm very happy and very proud, I'm, yeah, I'm very proud of, of, of the accomplishment. Uh, the accomplishment is not there. Not yet. Okay, well, I think you did pretty good, but okay, keep going. Can you stay, stay focused another month? Um, have any other Orthodox Jews, to your knowledge, ever been in the Olympics? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, it's not... Uh, 
it's not something that I would have, um, it's not something that I've been made aware of. It's hard for me to imagine, um, imagine so, but, uh, it's entirely possible that it has. It's, Olympic sports are not incredibly conducive to an orthodox lifestyle. Um, and I mean, it's entirely possible, but, uh, to the best of my knowledge, no. You, you heard of SD Ackerman, the, the ping pong star? I'm sorry? Have you heard of SD Ackerman, the ping pong star? Oh, I have not, no. So she is a, I think, 16-year-old table tennis champion who um, she tried out for the Summer Olympics the last time around. She didn't quite make the cut, but she's ranked like eighth in the country. So um, we we have another Olympic hopeful. Um, maybe she'll be the first the first woman. So, okay, so the Olympics are not so um, conducive to observance. So walk us through, in the, the sort of our last segment of the interview, we've got about six minutes left. What will you do for Kostras? How, how does food work in South Korea at the Olympics? So as far as I'm aware, at the Olympics, everything is provided for you. So, and this will be the first time that anything is provided for me, really. Uh, when I'm on the road, I, I usually travel with either canned kosher chicken or just stick to uh, vegetables in the can uh, when I'm traveling abroad. Uh, or smoked salmon. Smoked salmon is a real staple of my diet, to be honest. Um, the, at the Olympic Games, uh, to, from what I've been told, uh, there is full kosher uh, offerings. And uh, Israel will make sure that I am taken care of in, in that uh, in that in that sense. I think diet is one of the hardest things that, that a Jewish athlete would have to deal with, given that uh, protein sources are very difficult to come by if you keep yeah. if you keep um, if you keep kosher. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I it's funny because I always used to um, I did bodybuilding for a very brief period of time, and protein is huge in bodybuilding. I used to really marvel at the fact that it. That somebody who um, somebody could just walk into a McDonald's and get a ninety-nine cent uh, ninety-nine cent burger, which was twenty grams of protein. But uh, kosher meat, there's something about kosher meat which seems to put it uh, at at par with the price of gold. So yeah. um, you know, I'm I'm lucky that uh, that food will be provided there, but it will probably be the first and uh, who knows potentially the last time uh, in my sporting career that kosher food will be provided for me. Actually. And what about Shabbos? Do you know how Shabbos will work at the Olympic? Will Israel do anything special for its players? Um, I'm not sure. I certainly hope so. When, when, I, was at the, when I was at the Wingate Institute in Nisanya, um, last uh, not this past summer, but the summer before when I was training, um, I'd always go and try to buy a bottle of wine um, and bring it back to the Wingate Institute on Friday night for whoever was there, and we would make Kiddush. So I'm, I'm assuming that a similar setup uh, would be provided if not on, you know, it's not Kiddush al Yayan, but uh, some other form of, of making Kiddush would be, uh, would be possible. I don't know if there would be kosher wine there. Though I, I did come across when I was training in Pyeongchang last year, there is like Manischewitz type wine, uh, like, you know, the, the kind of two for a day wine, we like to call it, um, <laughs> wine uh, at, at, at some of the stores. So it should be possible to make Kiddush and uh, light candles and all that jazz. Awesome. And like, what about like the Kiddush Hashem aspect of that all? I know you said that, um, you know, sort of the weight of the, or the reality of, you know, sort of qualifying for this in your life for you as a human being hasn't quite hit you yet. But um, have you given any thought for what this means for you as a Jewish leader? Because, I mean, the story is really fresh, but I mean, 
whether no matter how you do and God willing to do well, um, you like you've just made history for like the Jewish nation. I mean, has, has the weight of that like really? Are you, are you getting that? Are you thinking about that? Or um, I think um, it, the journey has always been about um, the legacy that can be impacted. Uh, so uh, the, uh, what I found myself saying uh, rather frequently recently is that there are no riches in skeleton. The only thing we get is the legacy we leave after we leave the sport. So, in terms of in terms of the aspect of Kiddush Shem, I try incredibly hard to be worthy of. I mean, what I've been given is is a responsibility, and it's a blessing, and it's an it's a kavod, and uh, and I don't take that lightly, and I don't take it for granted. So, Israel has given me the kavod of, of allowing me to represent it, and I'll do my best to be worthy of of the gift that they've given me. And so. Um, and so my hope is that afterwards, after the whole journey is done, or even after this year, if the journey continues, that somebody will have seen that on television, or somebody will have heard an interview like this, uh, a young Jewish kid, or even or even an older Jewish individual, and they'll say that they can embark on a similar on a similar endeavor. And um, you know, if, if there is anybody out there listening and they want to, uh, and you know, the kids and they want to, they want any advice, they can absolutely feel free to, you know. Um, you know, I'll give you my email at the end of the program, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people. I get very random messages from people occasionally asking, uh, asking, you know, how they can break into sports and it makes my day because it's the only reason to do this whole journey. The, the journey is very solitary at points, but if mm-hmm. you remember that you represent an entire community, uh, and what you're striving for is the betterment of your community, then it really makes things a lot easier. Not, not easiest, but it makes things a lot easier. Amazing. Um, I asked you about how faith plays in. Um, we've got a, about a minute, a minute and a half left. If you could close this up with, is is sports, is your athleticism, is it a religious ritual for you? Is it something that is just permitted within Jewish law, so you enjoy it or you and so you do it? Or do you see this in some way as part of your service of God? Um... <laughs> I don't see it. I mean, I think all of our actions are service to Hashem, so long as we conduct ourselves appropriately. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't go so far as to say that that my skeleton is a service to Hashem. I think uh, living life uh, in in a way that's that I'd say creates a positive impression for individuals who who interact with me. That that is a service to Hashem, or that is you know that is kind of, of hollow, uh, in a sense. But uh, I think anybody can be, I mean, there are many ways of, of praising Hashem. There are many ways of acting as a Jew that's appropriate. And I think sports is an incredible outlet to to act uh, as a Jew that, that is in a manner that, that I would find to be incredibly appropriate. So so long as somebody carries himself, if they play sports, if they carry themselves uh, with appropriate dignity. And uh, I mean, people have to remember, or Jews have to remember that they carry responsibility for not only themselves, but for their community and their people. On Israel and there at Israel are all represented by anybody who you interact with. When you when you talk with them and they know you're Jewish, you have an incredible responsibility there. So athletes, whether you're on the world stage or you're on a recreational stage, uh, have an incredible ability to affect change and uh, change people's perceptions and uh, change people's uh, move them off of stereotypes. So. That is a very powerful form of, you know, maybe it's, uh, I guess it's Kiddush Hashem, 
So I mean, for oh, me, that's my sense. way of doing things. And I hope uh, other people realize that they can also do it that way. AJ, we are out of time, but this has been so fabulous talking to you, and we really wish you um, the best of luck and um, a big celebratory um, Sunday when, when you uh, do so well. Thank you very much. If anybody would like to um, to reach out, there are any kids out there who, who, are, who are interested in the journey, they can email. It's just my, my first two letters of my name, AJ, uh, and then it's at IsraelSkeleton.com. So it's Country of Israel, skeletonsport.com. So AJ at IsraelSkeleton.com. I'm always, I take care to read every email and answer everyone. So uh, please feel free. Thanks so much. And thank you so much for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.